Wow. Hello, my dudes. Are you absolutely kidding me? I, um, I guess I've been gone for like a minute at least. So I just wanted to, you know, come back to the podcast really quick and say a couple of things. Um, no, actually you may have noticed a couple people noticed that, uh, I have not posted a podcast in months. How did this happen? I don't know. Um, (laughs) So today, I did not intend on making a podcast, and I will get into that, but I was just about to record an Instagram story rant, kind of, which usually is not the best uh, thing to do. I mean, it's just, it gets way too many posts in your story. You're never going to get the point across as you would like. And then I was like, maybe I'll record a little clip for my vlog channel, which is also ignored for, you know, 11 months of the year. Um, But then I was like, bitch, you have a podcast. You have a beautiful blue Yeti mic. You have people asking, where's the podcast? So here I am. Um, Also in a very uh, different setting than usual. I just, I didn't want to sit on my couch, okay? I wanted to chill here. And so the video probably doesn't look great, but Oh, well, we're here for it. So today, what the hell did I want to talk about? I guess first I should explain why the podcast is has been on hiatus. hiatus. Um, yeah, so I think as I mentioned in the last episode that I posted, I talked about how I might take a break, but I didn't really like announce it afterwards. So kind of confusing. Kind of probably feels like I ghosted you guys. And for that, I'm sorry. I would never want to do such a thing. Um, but yeah, I think as I explained, um, I just got busy and then, you know, you got to weigh the options of what is, um, the best use of your time. And as much as I enjoy the podcast, um, you know, some weeks, if I'm not inspired, it is in fact hard to sit down and talk for a full hour, um, and say things that are actually interesting. But this time, watch out, because I think I have things to say, which is why we're here. So, (laughs) oh wow, you can actually see my computer, can't you? That's kind of a trip. I kind of like it. Let's just keep it there. That's kind of cool. Um, I'm also going to mute my notifications so you don't see anything embarrassing, like when Bay texts you when you get a text from Bay. Okay, let's jump right in. So uh, yeah, sorry for the break. Here we go. I was just about to rant on this on Instagram, but you guys get this gift instead. So enjoy. (laughs) Oh yeah, wait, before I get started, sorry. Um, No shout outs to the patrons because my Patreon has been on hold. Of course, I would not continue collecting money from my sweet, sweet patrons um, while I'm not posting the podcast. So We'll see how things are in the next few weeks and months. If I think that I can post regularly here again, maybe I will reinstate the Patreon. Um, I'm very grateful that any of you would want, like want, to support the podcast. So that's very sweet. Um, But yeah, I'm not trying to take your money for, you know, nothing. Because that would be rude. So now we're ready. I was just watching some New York City apartment hunting videos. First thing that's kind of annoying, people don't like to share the cost of the apartments. Now that, I must say, is not helpful, okay? You can show me all of the apartments that you want, but if we don't know your price range, uh, that's not helpful, okay? And people people love to watch these apartment hunting videos for a lot of reasons. You know, you get inspo, and you know, if you don't live in New York and you'd love to live in New York, it's cool. You know, New York, LA, whatever. 
whatever cities that you're interested in, it is helpful to watch these tours online. But yeah, it's like, dude, tell us your price range. So anyway, then I found a couple of videos that do tell you your price range. And so it was actually a Sarah Dietschy video, and she was explaining how her and her boyfriend live in a $3,500 a month apartment in like Midtown Manhattan, which by the way, can I just say, I hate that area. (laughs) And we'll get into that. But like, I could not actually handle living in probably any of Manhattan just because like I don't like crowds and busyness um, or the smell of piss, which is pretty much all over Manhattan. But that's just because we don't have a very good way of dealing with trash. Okay. Um, Anna Ressa in her story or something, Instagram live even maybe mentioned how she loves how Chicago has alleys, unlike a city like New York. And I was like, oh my God, alleys. That's what's missing. You need a place to put the trash. That's not the sidewalk. So anyway, uh, can you tell that it's my first ever New York City summer and I'm not adjusted to the the stench? You know, yes, beautiful city. What can I say? But um, the smell of actual hot piss on the ground combined with rotting trash is just not that appealing to me. So anyway, I'm lucky to not have that really in my uh, area, my neighborhood of Queens, but we'll get into it. So anyway, Saradici was talking about how she loves that area. She does have a beautiful apartment. It has like wall-to-wall just windows um, overlooking the city. And right in Midtown is probably where a lot of people would love to be. I mean, people just generally really love Manhattan. Um, But anyway, I was just thinking because while I've been in New York... First of all, it hasn't really been by choice. It's not like I have always dreamt of living in New York. It's not like I really romanticized it. Um, So I understand that my perspective is a little different than other people. Um, Some people dream of living in New York. So the thought of actually moving here is like a dream come true, dare I say. Um, For me, it was out of, you know, necessity kind of to be able to continue living with my boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. Um, So his whole stuff is dependent on visas, which means he has to stay in New York, whatever, not going to get into that. But also I wanted to come here and finish my schooling, which I am doing. And that's nice. But anyway, (laughs) the whole point is that I am not, you know, in love necessarily with New York City. So I don't know. I'm, I'm happy to be living here while I am, but I do realize it's kind of ridiculous and I'll get into it. So second point is that I am a student, I am a self-employed person, and I am trying to get my finances in order. So it's been a big goal of mine specifically this year to finally get my shit together. And um, I made a video back in March or April about all of my debt. And I gave you the numbers, baby, all right? (laughs) Again, if you're not going to tell rent, you better tell me exactly how much debt you're in, okay? Because people love talking about things that are deeply personal and uncomfortable, such as financial figures. Anyway, I explained how much credit card debt that I've gotten myself into for a variety of reasons over the past few years, and also my student loans. And it is my goal to pay off my credit card as fast as possible, credit cards, (laughs) I have multiple, Uh, because obviously that's a waste of money. All of the interest that I pay across my credit cards every month is stupid, and I would like to stop paying that as soon as possible so that my money can go from credit card payments to extra student loan payments, and eventually I will pay off all of the debt. That'd be great, right? And then I can actually save and um, (laughs) 
period. I can save. Anyway, I've been watching a lot of financial content in the past probably over a year, but specifically more recently. So I'm trying to stay focused on my financial goals. um, And I just want to talk about how difficult it is to be, I guess, budget conscious, especially in a city like New York. Again, it's not just New York, you know, LA is probably similar, San Francisco, any expensive place, especially major cities, um, they're just expensive. So right off the bat, you're paying more just for rent and everything else. But also I think there is a social cultural element to it. And so in New York City, a lot of people are like, oh, to, to, you know, really enjoy New York, you gotta spend some money. You know, you gotta do the luxury things. You've gotta go to the best restaurants. You've gotta go to the best clubs, bars, rooftops. Um, You've gotta be able to experience the city and that costs money. And I get that. Um, So to be a budget conscious person in this city, you'd think would be kind of stressful for me, but I'm not involved in any of that. Like I really don't, I don't like socialize with other people. Um, I spend most of my time with Nathan and we both are trying to be budget conscious. So that's good. You know, the most we ball out on is like Chipotle every weekend, or we go to the movies pretty often and we buy, you know, ices, (laughs) but that's the extent of our, um, you know, treating ourselves. But anyway, um, My friend also, friends, Claire and Hannah, just moved to Brooklyn. So now we actually have friends who are in the city. I mean, I I know some other people around the city. um, But again, most people I know live in Brooklyn. And from where I am in Queens, it takes a good amount of time to get over there. And you know how we're all lazy. If it takes more than like 10 minutes to get somewhere, I don't want to do it, you know? And that goes for everybody. So uh, eventually I will make the trek out there more often to hang out with people. But what I'm saying is in the situation I'm in, I'm living in Queens, which as I think I mentioned, um, or maybe I didn't, people, when they move to New York City, they pretty much only think of Manhattan or Brooklyn. I don't think any transplants come to New York and they're like, oh, I dream of living in Queens or the Bronx or Staten Island. And that's not to say that those are bad places at all. It's just, I think when you think of New York City, you think either Manhattan or Brooklyn, um, you know, and I've always wanted to to hear the perspective of like native New Yorkers, because I know obviously you have a lot of opinions about, you know, people coming to your city and not understanding the city. And of course, your perspective is always going to be different if like this is your home born and raised in New York, rather than people who move here and quite honestly, just contribute to gentrification. I'm not blaming anybody for gentrification, but it is a fact <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah. Living in Queens where I do and not having much of a social life or desire to have a social life makes it a lot easier for me to not spend money. If I were more extroverted and wanted to spend time with people, I would have actually met up with all of those people that, uh, you know, live in the city where I'm like, oh my God, we should meet up. We should see each other. But no, I've lived here now for months. And before that, I lived in, um, on Long Island, a little bit further outside of the city. But like, If I put more effort into socializing, I would have met up with all these people, but also I would have had to spend money doing that. Probably way more in Ubers or, um, oh, I use Via, Via, which is a a New York City rideshare, or just a lot more on food and drinks because it's expensive to meet up with people, okay? You know, like gone are the days, or not really, but 
where you're just like, hey, you want to come over to my place? We could buy snacks and drink beer (laughs) or like pick up a bottle of wine. No, like you have to meet up at some cute place that's like good for your Instagram story, which, hey, enjoy it. Um, But again, that's just not my priority right now because I'm so focused on minimizing my expenses so that all of my spare money can go toward my debts. Um, I would really be angry at myself if... You know, I moved to New York City and then instead of paying down my debts, I could end up very easily in more debt, even though I am currently making more money than I ever have. And I'll get into that. Um, But like living in a city like this, living in an expensive place or just living in general, being a young person, there's just so much pressure and expectation to, I guess, prove that you're like living a good, fun life. You know, Um, again, socializing usually comes at a cost and I miss hanging out with like my hometown friends because I feel like we didn't really like go out often. It would just be like, oh, let's all go to so-and-so's house we'll pick up drinks and snacks and food or whatever. And that, you know, kept it kind of less expensive for us to be able to see each other, which I like. But anyway, (laughs) where has my point gone? Okay, so yeah, I guess that was my first kind of point was like, it's strange to be living in a city and not having, I guess, the typical New York experience, at least from the outside. Because again, as a YouTuber, as an internet person, um, I think there are certain expectations. Like people expect you to have a life that is inspiring and like aspirational. So like, again, all of the YouTube videos that you can look up, like, ooh, luxury New York City apartments. Um, You know, I pay over three or $4,000 for a studio or one bedroom, but it's in a prime location, you know. People expect, I guess, that YouTubers or whatever will live in the best possible place. It's got to be an aesthetic apartment. Again, I don't like that expression. Aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing. Hello? One other fun thing about New York is that you can always hear um, traffic and honking. Loves it. Um, Yeah, I feel like from the New York City YouTubers that I've seen, or LA, this applies to, again, every major city. Um, They live in the best, trendiest areas. I was watching this video once of, um, yeah, a couple of YouTubers visiting New York, and they were talking about how, like, you have to live on Manhattan because... Um, even, did I say on Manhattan? Whatever. You have to live in Manhattan because even Brooklyn is like way too far away. And like, it's like so far away from everything. And it's like, I think they don't realize how privileged they are and how, how so, so out of touch they sound when they say things like that. New York City is a borough. Dang it. Now I sound stupid. (laughs) New York City has five boroughs. Okay. Um, And it's very, yeah, again, like condescending and privileged to pretend like um, all of these other places are like not good enough to live in. So it's like, okay, yeah, you may be able to afford living in these luxury places in the best neighborhoods of Manhattan or Brooklyn, but like that's not the reality for average people. For average people, living anywhere in New York City is really expensive, you know? Even the the least desirable areas are very pricey. So yeah, I just, I feel like so many YouTubers, you know, they make these videos because people want to watch it. Again, people want to watch the coolest, most impressive apartments in the best cities, the best cities, so-called. Um, 
in the best neighborhoods, the trendiest places, but it's like, I don't know how, how real of a representation that is, I guess, you know, it's like, it's like when you see, uh, LA YouTubers talk about LA, but they only mention like Santa Monica, Venice, um, West Hollywood, Beverly Hills, that's LA. (laughs) And it's like, oh my God, those are like very small amounts of the entire like city, let alone county of LA. And they just pretend like places that are too far out are just like completely unimaginable to live in. And it's just like, oh my God, you're, you're, you're pretty disconnected from what the reality is for average people again. But I get it. I mean, if you are making bank, if you're making like, I don't know, over 10 grand a month, like, I guess you don't have to be as picky as everybody else or people who are working like minimum wage or whatever. Um, And you're gonna, you know, spend your money to make your life look the best. Because again, as an influencer specifically, that is kind of part of your job or what a lot of people consider to be part of their jobs. Like, I need a cute apartment because I'm going to take pictures in here and I'm going to film videos in here and it's got to look amazing. And again, I I get that. But then look at my apartment. Clearly, I'm not following these rules. Um, (laughs) Anyway, yeah, it's very strange. I feel like um, I don't feel that pressure to live a different kind of New York City life. I just feel so disconnected from it and so far away from it. I'm really only ever in... Manhattan to go to class and then I come right back home and again as I said I hate a lot of areas of Manhattan um I've gone you know around Port Authority to take um the buses recently and um oh my god I was there when there was that crash like last week or whatever um where like a I think a bus like flipped over the side of a bridge luckily nobody was hurt somehow or people might have been hurt but nobody died um and then we were in port authority and port authority got like shut down and like thousands of people were stranded luckily somehow our bus actually got to leave though we were stuck in traffic for a while but anyway um (laughs) around port authority is kind of like my least favorite areas because it's it's just very crowded there's a lot of touristy stuff around there um but just in general like (sighs) Those kind of areas in any place are not my favorite because I don't like crowds. I get stressed out. My anxiety starts creeping up and suddenly I want to be far, far away. So (laughs) just for me, that's like not my thing. Like I've, you know, walked around and been like, wow, like this place is a dream for a lot of people. But like you could not pay me to live here because like it wouldn't be healthy for me mentally, which is pretty crazy. But anyway, again, not saying that it's objectively better or worse. It's just like I know what my desires are and what my needs are and I like to live somewhere more low-key so yeah we are in Queens and it is low-key but I'm still you know walking distance to as many Starbucks as I need (laughs) there's plenty of shopping grocery stores bagel shops on the corner you know like um Again, another justification for living in those really expensive and hip areas is like, oh, everything's around, like all the best restaurants and all the best shopping and everything and the cutest coffee shops. It's like, okay, cool. Again, I get it. But like, how much are you willing to pay to live like on that street rather than maybe save a few hundred dollars and like take a subway ride? Like, I don't know. It's just crazy. But again, I'm not making that amount of money to where I could even consider that. So It doesn't really matter to me. I just wonder how you guys feel because I assume the majority of you are not uh, extremely wealthy and or YouTubers or influencers. Um, (laughs) 
but I don't know. Again, I don't think that it's something that is discussed, that being like having a budget. Um, Again, I'm kind of viewing this from an outside perspective because I'm not friends with a ton of people. I don't have like coworkers in the city like most people would if you had like a regular job where you have coworkers. I just sit by myself and and think about myself. So I'm kind of like making assumptions, but I feel like in general, people in cities such as New York, LA, San Francisco, London, you know, I don't hear a lot of people talking about budgeting. They'll, they'll make jokes about how expensive it is, but then they don't talk about like cutting down on expenses. If anything, you hear people in a lot of these cities say they do not cook, (laughs) though in these apartment tours, um, people are often like, you know, oh, this kitchen's really beautiful and it's really nice and there's counter space, but they're like, oh, but we don't cook. It's like, why do you even care about the kitchen then? I mean, really, you could save a couple hundred bucks if you live somewhere with a less nice kitchen, but I digress. Um, That blows my mind though. That has become a huge trend with Postmates and all that, the convenience of it, I get it. Um, But the cost of Postmating so many meals is astronomical. I just could not understand. I mean, again, this is coming from somebody who now I track every single transaction in my budget. I put it in the every dollar app and then I have a fucking spreadsheet at the end of the month where I put all my categorical totals. So like I really am paying attention to every thing that I spend. So like maybe I'm just a little bit more aware of it because I'm putting in that time to do that. I can get how if you have what you call extra money, um, how you would think, oh, that's fine. I can afford it. Like I want Postmates, so I'll do it. Like, I don't care. I get it. I do order in occasionally. But again, I'm like, I'm paying an extra probably 20 bucks to get this food probably delivered kind of cold. It's not going to be as good as it would be if I ate it there. Is it worth it? (laughs) I don't know. And I'm not like a great cook, but I do actually really find comfort now in eating food that I make myself at home. So I don't know. I also like grocery shopping. I don't know. Anyway, all of this is to say, I don't really feel like I'm getting that genuine, well, genuine, or that um, stereotypical, expensive, luxury, partying, glamorous, like New York City experience. But anyway, I don't mind. It's just, it's so interesting to me. So specifically, I know that a lot of my followers, maybe a majority, like the number one city of my followers, I think is New York City. Sorry, just uh, awakening my computer. So for those of you who live in the city, please let me know what your experience has been. I, I have messaged a lot of you, and I know that a lot of you are budget conscious because you're students and you, you know, you have to find ways to afford rent. Like you don't have the the finances to spare to, you know, postmate every meal. So I would like to hear what you guys think about this. And again, I know that if anything, the cost of living is going up everywhere. So it's not even just these major cities where people are spending crazy amounts of money. It's expensive to survive. So I get that. Um, but again, I think, I think it's a very interesting thing to feel like the odd person out or feel like, uh, I guess it comes down to like, if I did have more friends who wanted to hang out more often, like, would I feel cheap? Would I feel like, 
bad for saying no to things. Cause I feel like if, if, if I had people like every, every day or every other day being like, Hey, meet us in the city for drinks or meet us for dinner. I'd be like, "Mm, I can't, I'm trying to save money. They'd be like, boo, you're boring. (laughs) Like, you know, like, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not dealing with that because I don't have that kind of social structure, but at the moment I'm kind of grateful for it. Is that kind of fucked up? Like, I'm glad that I don't have to feel guilty because I am really happy with what I'm doing. I'm happy keeping my spending under control. I'm really happy that I'm working toward my goals of paying off my debt because that is my number one priority. Um, So anyway, wow, that's a lot. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I've just been, I've been watching a lot of financial content, including a guy named Graham Stevens, and I still can't decide if I like him or not. Um, there are, there are these videos called millennial money and like make it that like go through how people spend money. And there are also those like, this is what $2,200 gets you in New York city. There's just like a certain series of videos on YouTube that are about how people spend. They look at like their expenses. They talk about the like pie chart of their income and expenses and blah, blah, blah. And if they have any savings or debt and it's just fascinating. I love money. I love watching videos about money. I love seeing how other people spend and earn their money. Um, so this guy, Graham Stevens, uh, makes reaction videos to those millennial money videos. And I've had an interesting time kind of getting into the financial sphere of YouTube because like the big, big guy is Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey is like the grumpy old guy who's going to tell you like, you literally need to live on rice and beans until you pay your debt off. And it's like, okay, cool. Some people are really motivated by that. And some of his advice is really good, but also he's like, very, uh, religious and that on its own is not a bad thing, but, um, (laughs) I've heard some like fucked up things about like him and like how he treats his employees, like specifically women. So I'm not a big fan of him like personally, and I don't think he's the most, um, progressive. Like he doesn't really think about systemic issues in terms of people's economic situations. He just kind of is like, you're a dumbass for going to college and taking out too much debt. Now you got to live off rice and beans. And it's like, okay. (laughs) So that's like not totally my type of stuff. On the other hand, I love watching the financial diet, specifically Chelsea Fagan. I am absolutely in love with her. She lives in New York City. She's probably one of the few people that I've heard who talk about what it's like to live in New York City on a budget. And, um, So yeah, I love watching her videos and I love her Twitter because she is also very progressive. So sometimes she chimes in about um, political things. and I'm just like, yes, you're my older sister. Can we hang out, please? I have tweeted at her a few times. I don't think she'll ever respond, but maybe someday we will uh, meet and collaborate because I really look up to her. Um, But yeah, it's awesome to see her and the financial diet talk about it's, it's kind of like personal finance from a female perspective. So again, I feel like a lot of personal finance content is somehow focused on men or like, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll get into it. But so it comes kind of from a female perspective. Like I think their entire team and like a, most of their writers are female because again, they're trying to lift up um, women but they are pretty intersectional, which is great. And Chelsea and the Financial Diet, their videos and their articles, they do address a lot of systemic issues. And they're not the type of people who are going to tell you you're stupid for buying iced coffee and avocado toast, like many 
more conservative men in finance will tell you, or even Suze Orman, I think has said that recently. So it's like, shut the fuck up. We want our coffee. Okay, bitch. (laughs) Aggressive. Um, so anyway, recommend the financial diet, check them out. Um, just learning about like money and finance and not, it's like, because a lot of financial content is just about budgeting and how to like strangle yourself to the bare minimum. But it's like, that's not sustainable for a lot of people to be successful in budgeting or working toward your financial goals. It has to be sustainable. So you can't completely like deny yourself everything because then you're going to crack and you're going to go on a fucking shopping spree because you felt like deprived. So anyway, <laughs> um, on that note though, this Graham Stefan, Stefan, Stephen, Graham Stefan, whatever. This guy straight up in all of his videos has this coffee and he's like, this is my 20 cent iced coffee. Of course he sounds like that. <laughs> this is my 20 cent iced coffee. I'm going to teach you how to make it. And he finally did. He made a video about his 20 cent iced coffee. He's like, why would you ever go to Starbucks? Every $5 you spend at Starbucks, you could invest that and it'll be worth fucking, I don't know, $100 in in 30 years. I don't know. Um, He is a very cheap person, but he's also a millionaire and he's young, whatever. He started in real estate. I don't know. (laughs) Why am I watching this guy? Um, On one hand, I feel like I could learn some good things from him, but also I'm kind of like annoyed by some of the things that he says. So anyway, yeah, he's the type of person who's like, going to Starbucks is making you broke. And it's like, okay, kind of. <laughs> but I guess his his meaning or his point behind that is like, yeah, every time you spend $5 at Starbucks and then you say you don't have any money to save, I guess that's a lie. Uh-oh, the recording stopped. Let's restart it. Hello? Cool, it's back. Um, so it's like, okay, yeah, if I spend $75 a month on Starbucks, I could cut that out and then I would have $75 at least to put toward my savings or investments. So yeah, I guess that's true. He also makes jokes about avocado toast and I'm just so tired of this fucking joke (laughs) that millennials are struggling with money because of avocado toast and iced coffee. Bitch, I'm over it. <laughs> he, he does recognize in his videos, he's like, student loan debt will set you back. But his advice is don't go to college. It's a waste of money. Avoid all that debt and just basically do what I did, you know, yeah. be a real estate agent or get started on Amazon, like e-commerce. I don't know. He shares all these stories of like, I'm 16 and I make $10,000 a month on Amazon. I don't know. Okay. Do what you want. But, um, I don't know. Yeah. I've been watching a bunch of his videos and again, it's kind of frustrating me because this whole time I've been like, do I even like this guy? Do I enjoy his content or am I kind of hate watching it? Cause it's not like he's wrong, but I just hate these like super, I don't know how he is politically, but I mean like financially conservative leaning, like I'm going to spend nothing and I'm going to think of every spare dollar as an investment opportunity, though financially that is pretty good advice. And I would definitely recommend that people do lower their standard of living um, so that they have extra money to pay down debt or save, Um, because I think that is something that millennials are struggling with. Again, 
not just millennials, but say you are a new college graduate and you move to a big city, you do feel that pressure to live a life that's impressive. You know, when you're like, oh, I got a job. You want people to be proud of you and impressed. Oh, I live in the city. Oh, that's awesome. Like I have this cool apartment. Awesome. But then like you look at your budget and you're actually like putting yourself in debt every month just to try to keep up like this image. Um, And yeah, I don't think that's a good thing, uh, especially if you have student loan debt you know? Um, but that's kind of off topic. Anyway, (laughs) been thinking a lot about money. So here's my other point. Um, I have been making more money at least specifically this month, maybe last month too. Um, because I've had a lot more sponsorships than usual. I'm sure you have noticed on YouTube, but, um, that really is a game changer for me because, you know, it makes me pretty much, well, I don't know, like, I earn like thousands more if I can do multiple, you know, sponsorships in a month or more than usual, Um, which is not typical. I don't want to do sponsorships so often, but I got this deal and it's like a recurring thing. So um, (laughs) that's going to be done pretty soon. But I've just been very busy trying to keep up with those deadlines because obviously every time you have a brand deal, like you have to submit the video for approval a couple days earlier and then you get the go ahead to upload it or let it go public. So I've just been more busy because I've had to finish videos earlier and like I'm terrible at sticking to my weekly upload schedule because I've also really been busy with my two summer courses which are done soon. My, my first one already finished, but my second one was an eight-week course, and it's done soon. But yeah, I've been very busy, which again is why I have not been able to do the podcast because uh, I feel like I've been like perpetually behind, and I hate that feeling. I feel, I feel like I'm late like all the time, like I'm just rushing. Um, like I'm late to class, and then I'm hurrying home, and then I take a nap, and I'm not supposed to, and then I have to wake up and hurry and make a video at midnight. Um, to be able to hit my deadlines. Anyway, I have been making more money because not only is my channel growing, so I've been making more AdSense money. I think, well, I already know, this month, July, is is my top AdSense month ever. And I'm so excited about that. Um, I'm really excited because it's only halfway through the month right now. So I have the rest of the half of the month to continue earning money. It's blowing my mind. Um, I always have to remind myself to... Um, pay my quarterly taxes. So it's kind of hard to like look at my earnings, but then I'm like, oh no, that's before tax. (laughs) Shit. Uh, But anyway, either way, I'm glad. Uh, And the extra sponsors are very helpful. But again, all of this extra income, it's not like I get to necessarily enjoy it or do anything fun with it, but I do intend on throwing it at my credit card debt, which is very exciting. I should be able to pay down a big portion of that Um, and I'm really, really excited about that. And then in the future, hopefully (laughs) I have enough sponsors to, you know, sustain myself. And as my channel grows more AdSense money and my sponsors will be worth more. So I'll be able to charge more. It's great stuff. Um, (laughs) uh, it's just, I'm so tired. I'm so very tired anyway. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one point is like, It's hard to resist when you get any amount of money. Let's say you get a promotion at your job or you get a new job that pays you a lot more. It's so tempting to be like, holy shit, I can afford, you know, like an apartment that's like $500 more. Like, should I move somewhere? Like, ooh, should I go shopping? I want all these new clothes. Um, It's really, really tempting to upgrade your lifestyle to meet your new 
um, salary, but that's not a good financial move. (laughs) So it's like the really challenging thing, especially again in a city or a place where there's a lot of temptation to spend. Um, it's, 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 it's smarter to keep your standard of living at like a very low kind of, um, constant place, you know, where you're comfortable. Yeah. You're lucky if you can be comfortable on a lower, you know, budget and then use any extra money. And as you continue to make more money, don't even think about it. You know, either it goes towards your debt and that's a good use of your extra money, or it goes in your savings. And again, you don't think about it because then you're not sad and thinking, oh, I want to go shopping or I want to spend a thousand dollars on Postmates. (laughs) Some of these budget videos, people spend literally a thousand or $1,500 a month on Postmates. Again, I'm like, get your coffee, babe. Get your occasional avocado toast at brunch. Why not? Um, But like, don't spend $1,500 a month on Postmates. Like, try to spend $1,500 a month on groceries. You won't be able to do it, especially if you're not cooking. They just all probably get wasted. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, just been thinking about money. So anyway, hey, sirens, what's up? What's up, you guys? Yeah, I miss you guys. I do. I miss I miss uh, chatting like this. But yeah, I've been busy. And then I'm planning a road trip with my sister. Um, so I'm going to be leaving soon. And I'm going to... Are you kidding me? The cart is full again? All right. <laughs> Great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break because it's been 37 whole minutes. And then we'll get back. And you know what I want to talk about? Politics, baby. That's uh, this this podcast is going to be 2 hours long. Uh in case you don't like politics, I'm giving you a fair warning, but it's going to be fun. So stay tuned and we're going to get real political on you, okay? Here we go. And we're back. Okay. Yeah. I want to get political. This is such a fun young adult episode. You know, you guys, we're talking about money and we're talking about politics. Um, I've been biting my tongue, I guess, or just kind of absorbing a lot of information. Uh, as you guys may or may not know, you probably should know. I'm a big Bernie Sanders supporter. Okay. And I will explain everything. And, you know, with this 2020 cycle, I really would like to get back into making political content. I made political content on my socially unacceptable channel in 2016, because when I discovered Bernie Sanders and I compared him to Hillary Clinton and the rest of the politicians that I had been aware of, he just ignited this fever, (laughs) this fire in me, because I finally saw a politician who was consistent and who I felt I could trust and who I thought genuinely is committed to all of his causes, all of his policies. He's not, um, he's not paid for by any industries. And that is so rare in our politicians these days. Um, so yeah, for a multitude of reasons, I did support Bernie Sanders and I still do. And I have supported him since I heard of him, but, um, yeah, the 2020 race is a damn mess. You know, we have so many candidates and on one hand, that's kind of a good thing, but also, um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of misleading information out there. And of course that comes just with like the mainstream media, but also with, I don't know, like 
most people do not pay as much attention to politics as I do. And I understand that. And I'm not trying to say like, I'm more politically <laughs> aware. No, like it's just one of my interests. Like I enjoy watching political commentary videos every day. So I do stay up to date and I watch a lot of independent media, not corporate media. So the, the information that you get is different. When you're only watching corporate media, there's just a different narrative. And the truth is that corporations, corporate media, you know, CNN, MS, MSNBC. <laughs> wow, I'm presenting myself in the best way. Um, Fox, all of them are corporate media and all of them have interests. Uh, other than just telling the cold, plain, fair truth because of who owns them. And this is not a conspiracy, it's a fact. Um, so when you have somebody like Bernie Sanders who's critical of, I don't know, Comcast, and maybe Comcast owns a couple of news networks, the, those news network... <laughs> Those networks are going to have an incentive to not speak kindly of someone like Bernie Sanders because he's threatening their institution. So anyway, that's just a basis of it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> where the fuck do I begin? I have been wanting to make political commentary videos, but there are just so many things to talk about that I don't know the best way to do it. And on one hand, I would love to talk about politics on my main channel um, because I think a lot of the things that I talk about are political, but people get scared away when you're blatantly political. As soon as you say politics or you say a political party, Democrat, Republican, people fucking freak out and then suddenly they either will listen to you or will shut you down completely. And it's funny because so many of the things we talk about are political. I think, to be fair, that like everything is political. Everything leads back to choices that can be affected by political policies. So even when we're talking about climate change, that's a, a very political issue because our politicians are going to decide how we deal with it or how we don't. Um, when we talk about fast fashion, that's a political issue because we could be creating policies that enforce um, better, like, treatment of workers, better wages, or more, like, laws and... Um, Regulation, So it's like, that's a political issue. But people, I don't know. If it's not specifically partisan, I don't think people see it as political, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then just generally, I've been talking a lot about capitalism, I guess, generally, and um, <laughs> the problems with it. And mostly my audience right now agrees with me, which is good. You know, I've got a lot of... Uh, a lot of socialist or communist leaning um, viewers, or at least people who are critical of capitalism, which I think is a fair position because honestly, looking at the capitalistic situation that we're in, I feel like you don't have to be a crazy socialist to be like, hey, I think this system's kind of fucked up, you know? So anyway, um, what was my point? So yeah, I've been trying to figure out how to talk about this. Um, but there's just so many issues and then I'm already so busy. It's hard enough for me to keep up with my main channel and my school work. So it's like, I don't have time to make the kind of videos like the political commentators that I watch post like multiple videos every day because that's their full job. And so they're always following the news. They're able to make videos as soon as possible. And I just wouldn't be able to do that. So I've been trying to figure out the best ways to do that. And also, I don't think I necessarily want to make videos about 
current events as they happen, but I would like to make videos about specific candidates or specific positions and kind of explain them in depth, at least like my perspective or whatever. So let's get into these uh, p p candidates. I was going to say politicians, but whatever. Um, so as I said, Bernie Sanders is my number one choice in case you don't know. Um, yeah, basically, I just think when you are progressive, as I consider myself to be, and I think I consider myself to be a democratic socialist. Um, I haven't gotten too deep into all of that. Like I haven't like studied any of these theories or like read any books about it, but just based on like the positions that I have, I feel like those fall under democratic socialist kind of views. Um, in case you're unfamiliar, I don't know if I can explain it right now, but it's not as scary as it might sound to people who are terrified of the word socialist. Um, anyway, when you are leftist, as I am, um, I think when you look at the 2020 candidates, it's pretty clear that Bernie is the furthest left and also the most consistent. And a lot of people are concerned about electability. Who can beat Trump? And I really think that Bernie does have one of the best chances of beating Trump. I don't want to make any predictions for 2020 because I do not believe that polling is necessarily accurate. And I think that freak things can happen outside of, you know, what we are able to predict. And so I'm not going to say for certain, oh, any Democrat's going to beat Trump because obviously Trump's an idiot and nobody supports him anymore because that's not true. It would be super ignorant of me to think that. I think no matter who the nominee is, um, it's going to be a hard, hard battle to be able to not win over Trump voters, but to win over independence and to win over to get the Democratic vote turnout way up because I think in 2016 like there just weren't, wasn't a high enough turnout to be able to defeat Trump so we need somebody who can um, inspire people and get them out to vote and I think that Bernie does that I think Bernie really appeals to certain people that the more establishment or centrist or moderate Democrats don't like Joe goddamn Biden for example it would be the absolute fucking worst nominee. Honestly, he is worse than Hillary. And some of you probably support Hillary um, or did support her. But in terms of like going against someone like Trump, who is a populist, um, though everything that he like his populist positions are pretty much a lie. Um, but going against his kind of messaging, which is so based on emotion, you can't have somebody like Hillary come out and just assume that she's going to win. And like, I think there were so many things that went wrong in 2016. This is not making sense. But anyway, corporate politicians don't inspire people. Okay. It's not an ageist thing because I'm supporting Bernie. He's one of the older, if not the oldest uh, candidates. It's not about age. It's about, I guess, the fresh <laughs> the freshness of your policies, but also your commitment to those policies. Because again, we're seeing a lot of Bernie's ideas now considered mainstream when in 2016, they were considered extremist, pie in the sky, Medicare for all, free college, um, $15 minimum wage, to name a few, are now mainstream. Now, the majority of the 2020 Democratic candidates are supporting those things. But here's the difference. You can go back and see Bernie talking about these exact issues literally 30 years ago. And you've got 
politicians who suddenly, now, maybe in the last year or two, have come around to support or voice their support for these positions, but you can't necessarily believe that they will fight for those positions because there's a big difference between saying, I support Medicare for all, that sounds like a good idea, and someone like Bernie, I think Bernie's the only one who's been this devoted for Medicare for all, who says, we're not going for anything less than Medicare for all. When you have somebody who says, oh, I'm interested in Medicare for all, I'm open to that, but I'm also open to keeping private insurance. Nope, that means they do not support universal health care. That means they are considering keeping private insurance, which only exists to give profits to insurance industries. Like, why would we keep that around? There's no reason to keep insurance industries open. If we have Medicare for all, it would cost less. We would have better health outcomes. Um, yeah, that's, that's a whole other issue. I want to make a whole video dedicated to Medicare for all. Um, I'm just scrambling. So anyway, for all these reasons, Bernie is the man. There's no question. He is my number one, 100%. Um, and I do think he would be probably the best against Trump. And I think he really would be able to increase the voter turnout. And he does appeal to a lot of independents and a lot of the people kind of in the Midwest who ordinarily voted blue, but some people voted for Trump because they didn't want to support Hillary or didn't feel motivated to vote for Hillary. Um, a lot of those same people are actually motivated and inspired by Bernie's positions. He speaks to them in a way that Hillary didn't. And so I hope that we don't make that same mistake by, you know, nominating somebody who's going to make similar mistakes as Hillary did. Um, okay, so if Bernie is my number one by far, who's my number two? I guess my number two is Elizabeth Warren, but I have become very conflicted about Warren recently. Originally, like back in 2016, loved Warren. She is a progressive and she, you know, is very, she has been very tough on Wall Street, you know, in, in the Senate. And I do love the policies that she comes up with. When she came out with her college um, debt re removal, <laughs> canceling, canceling college debt plan, I was like, hell yes, Elizabeth Warren. But then Bernie came out with his, which I agree is better because it just eliminates all debt. Um, again, we can argue about that in a separate podcast or another video. But um, there's no doubt that Elizabeth Warren is very smart and she writes great policy. But I don't think that her against Trump would be as strong. I would really, really doubt her um, ability to be able to beat Trump. And again, I like her. She's my second choice. But the distance between Bernie and her there's like no question, like she is so far, far away. Um, and all the other candidates are even further away. I just don't think there's anybody who really compares to Bernie. And some people might say, well, you're just a Bernie bro. You're just obsessed with Bernie. Okay, yes, I am. <laughs> I am a huge fan of Bernie, but that comes out of policy and substance and his commitment. And I believe 100% that he believes wholeheartedly what he fights for. And he's not gonna back down to anybody. Here's the thing about Warren. Warren and a lot of the other candidates, because of Bernie's precedent that he's set in not accepting corporate money and not accepting PAC money, Bernie's completely people-funded. A lot of the other candidates have said, okay, we're going to be people-powered, grassroots, um, but we're, you know, mm, not 100% against corporate money as they kind of pretend to be. Um, like Pete, I think, has been 
you know, having bundlers, which is like a sketchy kind of way to collect max donations from corporate kind of people. But anyway, that's another issue. Elizabeth Warren has said in the primary that she wouldn't take any PAC money, but that she would be open to taking corporate PAC money in the general. Her reasoning for that was, in the general, we're going to need as much money as possible to beat Trump. But I think that is a huge flaw, and that is something really dangerous, because if you're in this, you have to acknowledge that we cannot continue to allow corporate money in our political system. It is just, it needs to be completely removed. It's unacceptable to accept it for any reason. Um, So it's really sketchy that she would be willing to accept that money if she were nominated. So that's one thing that makes us doubt her, us, me, (laughs) that makes me doubt her in that way. Because again, if Bernie is 100% committed to this, he's shown it, he's proved it years and years and years of history. And then she says, I'm committed to this, but then I would take that money in the general. That just doesn't show that same consistency and that same dedication to this issue of getting money, corporate money, out of politics. So that's one thing. Another thing, um, this is kind of more of an issue with um, Bernie haters. And I've found that a lot of them are Warren supporters. And I find that really interesting because ideologically, like based on their policy positions, they are more, I would say they're more similar than they are different, especially compared to the other candidates. They're, they're the most similar to each other. But I've seen a lot of Warren supporters hate Bernie. And it just doesn't make sense to me because on the Bernie side, we have lots of Bernie supporters who love Warren. Yes, Bernie's still our number one choice, but we acknowledge, you know, that Warren is at least one of the best out of, you know, this field. So it's interesting. It's like, why, why do Warren supporters not respect Bernie, at least? Or why do they hate Bernie? And what I've found, at least from Twitter, is if I see a Warren supporter who hates Bernie, I go to her page and there's some evidence that they were Hillary supporters. And obviously that's fine, but I have some problems with that. And usually these supporters or anti-Bernie people are saying... Um, Bernie and his Bernie bros are divisive. They're the reason we lost to Trump in 2016, which is an absolute lie. Um, they they seem to think that more that Bernie supporters like gave up on Hillary and didn't support her, and that's why Trump won. But in fact, more Clinton voters did not vote for Obama. They voted for McCain instead than the number of Bernie supporters who did not vote for Hillary. So really, I mean, it's normal in any campaign. You can't guarantee in a primary any candidate who votes for this person will 100% certainly vote for whoever the nominee is. That's just not how it is. Some people say, if you're a true leftist, Democrat, whatever, you'll vote blue no matter who. But that's not true. That's not true. And especially when you have people say, independents who maybe are interested in Bernie, those same independents aren't just going to vote for every Democrat. That's just not how it works. So anyway, I think it's a really unfair argument to continue trying to pin the blame of Trump on Bernie. The second part of that would be Bernie campaigned so hard for Hillary. As soon as he, you know, conceded the nomination, he urged all of his supporters to vote for Hillary. He voted, he, he, 100% wanted Trump to lose. And he campaigned with her. He was all over the country with her trying to, you know, get people to vote for Hillary. But again, that's not Bernie's fault. 
if you really look at it, Hillary and Trump were the most unlikable candidates in history. So like, it's, it's easy for Hillary supporters to blame Bernie, but the fact is, maybe it was Hillary. Maybe Hillary wasn't inspiring enough to win, you know? And also going up against Trump, like, it was unprecedented. We'd, we'd really, most of us underestimated how much power he had and how many supporters he had. So anyway, I, th- I just think it's silly to, in 2020, not be able to acknowledge Bernie has established the Democratic platform. He's moved the party to the left. Um, and again, a lot of these same people who liked Hillary now support probably a female candidate, um, probably love AOC. AOC loves Bernie. It's just so funny to me. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's like cognitive dissonance. Did I even say that right? Or did I stutter? Um, I feel like people just, these, this very specific group, again, I'm not referring to all Elizabeth Warren supporters, but I feel like there's a large number of them, again, who are ex-Hillary supporters. They hate Bernie because of how 2016 was. It was messy, but it's not all his fault. And I think it's really unfair to think that that's the case. Um, But also, I think you do have to ignore reality to pretend like Bernie again, doesn't have good policy positions. I don't know. It just, it grinds my gears. But here's another thing that is probably somewhat controversial to voice, um, is that I think, as I saw with Hillary, there's a large, or whatever, there's a number of female voters, and even men too, I think, um, who just so badly want to elect a female president And I'm just not a fan of identity politics. I will never vote for someone because of their gender or their sexuality or their race or their ethnicity or their religion. Never. Identity politics just has nothing to do with why I will vote for someone. Um, Of course, it can be very beneficial. And I love to support someone based on policy and history and their consistency. And then the plus side is, oh, and now, great, we have this really great progressive woman or this great progressive LGBTQ person, like like Tiffany Caban in Queens. She is a, um, how does she describe herself? A queer Latina woman. Fantastic. That's awesome. But that's not the reason I voted for her. I voted for her because her record is amazing and her platform and what she would do for Queens is amazing. That, first and foremost, is the most important thing. I do not think that we can go around and just vote for people based off of these... The identity politics. Um, and again, I I do think that there was a number of Hillary supporters who got so excited at the thought of having a female president that they were fired up about Hillary. And yeah, if you're a Democrat and you want to elect a woman, Hillary was your choice in 2016. Um, but not at the expense of, say, choosing someone who has a less progressive or less successful policy platform. So it's like, again, I think, I think Bernie's platform is the best. That's why I'm voting for him. It's not like I don't want a a female candidate, but I will never vote for a woman or in Mayor Pete's case, some people are really celebrating that he's gay, which again, great, but also irrelevant to politics. Um, I, it's hard to talk about this without sounding bad, but okay. 
So if I look at, if I look at Mayor Pete's policies, that's what I will judge him for. Um, but I will never vote for someone because he's gay. As wonderful as it would be to have an openly gay president, that's never the reason why I will vote for someone. That's just a benefit that comes along with it. Oh, great. How awesome would it be for this country to have a gay president? It would be great. It would break some boundaries. It would normalize that and prove, most importantly, that being gay has nothing to do with your abilities. It's just a a part of you, you know? I don't think that that should be the forefront of the issue. Um, And I don't know. And then there's like, people assume, oh, you have to vote for a woman to get the best positions that are good for women. Or you have to vote for somebody who is gay to get the best LGBTQ protections. But that's not necessarily true. You could choose a woman who's going to fight against women's rights, or you could choose an LGBTQ person who is not in favor of LGBTQ rights. I know it sounds contradictory, but, you know, we do have, um, for example, conservative women who are anti-choice. So again, it's like, that's why identity politics doesn't make sense to me because it's just your identity. It's, it's irrelevant to politics. Okay. So anyway, That's why I'm getting frustrated, because I feel like these ex-Hillary supporters, um, now whoever they they support, they just hate Bernie so much, and I feel like that hate is very, very, very much unfounded. And I just really want them to explain to me, like, with actual, like, positions or reasons that are true, not just this Bernie is divisive lie, because it's not true. Um, so anyway, I'm very heated. So I think that slightly has tainted my perception of Warren because again, she's my second choice. I like her out of everybody else. If it's not Bernie, I would support Warren. Um, but again, just objectively, I don't think her policy positions and her platform is quite as strong as Bernie's. And I don't think she would be as great against Trump as Bernie would be. So again, I think those are fair things. (sighs) Would I love to have a woman nominee? Actually, (laughs) that's the thing is like, I don't know. I think we should question this. Like, would I love it? I'd be like, okay, that's cool. That's good. That's progress, I guess, to see, again, women in positions of power and normalize that. Um, That's a good thing. But again, I wouldn't be celebrating that for that. I would want to celebrate Warren for her positions because I think those are a lot more notable than her gender. But again, I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. As far as all the other candidates go, I do not trust Kamala. Um, She did really well in the debate, I will admit that. But her record as a prosecutor and as the... Was she the district attorney? No, she was... I don't know. I forgot. Um, (laughs) That really doesn't make me seem like I know what I'm talking about. All I know is that her, her record was very tough on crime in California, which sounds good and appealing to some people, but actually means that some of your, you know, um, you know, rulings as a prosecutor are actually pretty, um, unfair and some things, um, are just problematic. So it's like, I don't know, again, kind of everyone's trying to position themselves as a progressive, but it's annoying to see that label put on people who are not actually progressive. Um, Yeah, Kamala probably would be in my top five just because so many uh, of these candidates are terrible. (laughs) But she definitely wouldn't be someone that I'd be excited to vote for because I just doubt 
her um, positions while I'm burping. Um, Again, like what makes me trust a candidate is their fundraising. I want to see a history and consistency of people powered, no corporate money, no PACs. Um, I also want to see their record. I want to make sure that people have supported things before they turn popular. That's another thing. When you look at Bernie's record, he was one of the only people, you know, fighting for things that were very unpopular back then, but are now very popular. So it's like, you know, that shows a lot of integrity and that his commitment was coming from a genuine place and not just from trying to do what was popular in the moment. Um... What else about Kamala? I don't know. She just hasn't been on my radar because, again, like, I don't need a top 10 or a top 5. I think a top 2 is more than enough. Um, What else? Beto needs to drop out. He is just embarrassing himself. I liked him for Senate. I think I've talked about this. I liked him for Senate um, and for Texas. Um, But in terms of being the Democratic nominee, he is not not leftist enough. He's not a progressive. Um, I think he should go back to Texas and focus on winning a Senate seat because I think he would be better used there. And he's just embarrassing himself right now. Um, Mayor Pete. uh, I don't think his positions are very progressive. Um, He's kind of been positioned as, well, for a bit, he had the corporate media really loving him and hyping him up. But then I think, I think now they've switched to Kamala and Warren as being the mainstream media's favorite, which again, I will say is a bit sketchy because again, Bernie represents a real threat to billionaire interests, to corporate interests. And so naturally he's not a friend of the corporations like many other politicians are. So when you see corporate media supporting a candidate, it's sketchy to me. But to a lot of people who, again, maybe may not be as deeply involved in politics, um, they see, oh, so-and-so is getting really good coverage on CNN, MSNBC, whatever. That's a good thing. They must be a great candidate. But when you look behind the scenes, you're like, hmm, is it such a good thing that the corporate media loves them? Is it, would it be a good thing if Wall Street loves so-and-so or the pharmaceutical industry loves so-and-so? It's like, actually, those are kind of the worst, the worst endorsements that you could get. Um, Cause it shows, huh, why would Wall Street like you? If you're threatening to Wall Street, a genuine threat, why would they like you? Oh, that means you're not a genuine threat. Nice. Okay. Hmm. That shows. So anyway, um, I've seen the mainstream media kind of change who its favorite is. They, they gave a boost to Mayor Pete at one point. He was like literally at 1%, but he was everywhere suddenly. And they were really amping up the fact that he's gay. They were like, oh, his husband could be the first, um, the first, what do you call it? Not the first lady. The first gentleman? Is that what it'd be called? Um, he could be the first first gentleman. And again, I was like, thanks to the mainstream media bullshit. They wouldn't, that was back when Pete had like no policy positions public. And, um, so all they could talk about was the fact that he speaks multiple languages and that he like went to elite schools and that he has a husband. It's like, okay, uh, those are fun facts, but they don't really help us in trying to figure out who should be our president, you know? Um, (laughs) So anyway, for a bit, he was hyped up and that actually led to an increase in his support. But now, um, especially since 
what's been going on in South Bend, um, all of the racial tensions and the way that he has reacted with that. Um, I think he's lost a lot of support there. And I think that the, um, the black population in in Indiana in general, like really doesn't like him now. So that's definitely been very, um, harmful to his, his polls, his polling. (laughs) This does not make sense. No, it stopped again. This is so annoying. Hold on. This is really getting crazy. Here I am. So anyway, Mayor Pete, no thanks. Um, again, I don't know, stay in Indiana, keep working on your local issues, win back the support of your constituents. Um, but I don't think that he is the man for 2020. So then who else? Um, Kamala Warren. I mean, I like Tulsi, but again, Tulsi's at like 1% and I really like her because of her, um, foreign, I'm forgetting my words. Hold on. (laughs) Foreign policy. I'm just forgetting. Um, Tulsi is a veteran and I like that she is against interventionist wars. She um, she has seen firsthand the harm of war and she doesn't want to continue seeing the United States intervene and actually cause more conflict and more pain across the world. So I really admire that. Um, but I, I think obviously as a candidate, she doesn't have any chance. Um, but again, I support her and I would, you know, if Bernie were elected, God damn it, my battery. <sighs> okay. If Bernie were elected, I would love to see uh, Tulsi maybe put in his cabinet somewhere because I think that her foreign policy experience and um, perspective would be very valuable. Uh, who else? Is there anybody else who's relevant? People are always like, Yang gang. And I'm like, Ugh, no. <laughs> Again, uh, I like the idea of universal basic income, uh, but again, this is not not the time for Yang, but I think he he should continue. And I'm glad that that idea has had such uh, popularity because I think it really is something that we need to consider, especially with the threat of automation, but also just in general, I think it would be a really uh, good potential policy, the old freedom dividend. And then, of course, Biden. Biden is trash. Biden is irrelevant. He does not need to be in the race. Um, I would say he's actually closer, much closer to a Republican than, you know, where we need the Democratic Party to be right now. I think he is disingenuous. You can't trust a fucking word he says. He's like, I'm middle class Joe. No, you're not. He just, he just straight up like, lies and thinks that people won't fact check him. He's like against Medicare for all. He's like, oh, we, we would just need to fix up Obamacare. It's like, no, dude, no, not. And then he's, he spent so much of his time. Um, he hasn't spent a lot of time actually campaigning because every time that he actually is in public speaking to people, his support would drop. Um, so instead of that, he has spent time at private fundraisers getting money. And some of his donors even the people that he's been courting, um, are actually Republican supporters, you know, like he, he courted a fucking Trump, um, donor. It's like, why would we nominate on the Democratic side, somebody who's getting money who, wait, sorry, (laughs) someone who's getting money from the same people giving money to the Republicans. He, he just represents, um, the fact that like corporate, corporate establishment politicians, whether you're on the left or the right, 
are pretty much the same. The only difference is like, oh, I'm pro-choice and I'm pro-LGBTQ on the surface. Who knows what they actually think privately. Um, yeah, they're just, they're all financially conservative with slightly different social views. So it's like, why, why Joe Biden? Why the fuck are you in the race? Please. And like his, his support is mainly like older voters or people who are kind of nostalgic for the Obama era, but it's like, dude, I I think I've mentioned this in a video before, but, um, somebody made the point that if we go back to where we were in the Obama era, we're going back to the uh, situations that led to the rise of Trump. So therefore, like, we're not, that's not a good place to return back to. People want familiarity. They'd, they're sick of all the craziness in our political system right now. But going back to 2012, 2016, or just kidding, 2008, 2012, um, is not the answer. That's that's not fixing anything. That would be like a little band-aid so that we can pretend like things are back to normal. But really, things were pretty fucking shitty back then, to be honest. I think we're just, we are at a point where things are so crazy that people are like, please just take some of it away. Take the orange man away, which I agree. I would love to. He's a fucking demon. Um, <laughs> I feel like I've been more vulgar in this podcast than usual because it's been a while. I'm like, hmm, oh well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that Trump fucking, I can't even acknowledge him as the president, to be honest. He's an absolute um, incarnation of evil. It's interesting, because I really don't talk about Trump very often. Um, I find it kind of, I don't know, I don't like to pay attention to him. I don't like to pay attention to his tweets. I don't really like to pay attention to the stupid shit that he says, because I don't like feeding into giving him attention for saying stupid shit. Um, I think if the media this whole time had given him less attention, it probably would have been better. The more outrage there is against Trump, the more his supporters are fired up about it. Um, But I think there definitely are just endless disturbing facts about Trump. And um, God, I can't even get into it. It's like, I just, I truly cannot believe that the reality that this is... um, our situation, the fact that he literally is the president, you know, we're years into it. And I'm still like, hmm, is this fucking real? Because it just truly seems like an actual nightmare that we've all just been trying to live through. Anyway, wow, holy shit, this has been a long podcast. I hope that I didn't offend you guys, but I did give you fair warning about the political stuff. So, oh, well, I'm, I'm open to hearing everybody else's perspectives, but these are mine and this is my podcast. So I guess you have to listen to me unless you turn it off. Um, now my voice is going and I just want to say thank you. And I don't know when the next time I will post a podcast will be, but, um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe you'll just get some surprise podcasts once in a while. All right, here we go. Okay. Thanks. Bye.